Thank you so much. I can't tell you how stressed out I am. I was standing over there, they were singing, and I thought, you know, when you're in a hurry, it, it, you know, 30 seconds seems like 10 minutes. And so they were singing, and I kept looking at my watch, and I kept looking, and all I could think was Bob's going to be over here tap dancing, just uh, stalling for me to get back. And so um, uh, somebody met me as I was coming in, somebody was going out, and I thought, oh no, they've, they've just said, go home. And they said, they said, no, the special music just started, and you're good. And so um, I'm, I'm collecting my thoughts. In fact, I asked Pastor Adam to pray. I didn't even pray with him. I, was, uh, uh, I said, Adam, I need you to pray so I can get back and preach. And so very thankful to be back in here with you all. Let me invite you to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. I want to confess that there are times uh, as a pastor when you go to preach something, you just feel like you're walking a typerope. Now, my responsibility is to preach the Word of God and to preach what's there. Uh, But often, you know that what you're going to preach touches lives all throughout the congregation. And this morning is one of those times. And so, uh, that's one of the reasons why I prefer to preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible or through a section of the Bible like we are right now, the Sermon on the Mount, because it requires me to deal with issues that I probably wouldn't run to on my own if I were just picking text here and there. And so as we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to these two verses and we come to the issue of divorce this morning. I want to read our passage and then, uh, and then look at uh, our message this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 31 and reading down to verse 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Lord, that you would allow me to say only what lines up with your word and only what gives you honor and glory. Lord, as we walk through these verses, as we walk through this issue, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts from your word and from your Holy Spirit. Lord, we give this time to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon today is Jesus on divorce. Here is the big question. What did Jesus teach on divorce? Uh, Some introductory thoughts. Marriage is important. Marriage is a really big deal. Um, Marriage is God's invention. We didn't come up with marriage. God invented marriage. And God invented marriage because it was important to him. And so God does not like divorce, and neither should we. There's lots to say here, lots I could say here. Um, Many of us have come in contact with this issue. I'm I'm a child of divorce. My parents are divorced, and uh, I'm, I'm 44, and yet 34 years later, I still, still deal with the issue of my parents' divorce and have some of the scars of my parents' divorce, and I will for all of my days. And so this is a personal issue for me, and uh, um, I'm thankful for the way that God has ministered to my own heart. And so when we come here, we come to this passage, there are some things that I want to say, and I I want us to look carefully at this. Uh, First of all, I want us to see that Jesus confronts the social norms. As we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, there have been a couple of alternating patterns here. Uh, First of all, one of them is what we see here this morning. 
uh, that Jesus confronts the social norms. If you were here last night, or last, last night, if you were here last night, you were here by yourself. If you, <laughs> if you were here last Sunday night, you'll remember that we talked about honesty. And, and we talked about how the societal norms had, had changed. That there, that there was this idea, in fact, there was even this saying, and it was quoted there in Scripture, if you swear by the temple, it's no big deal, you really don't have to keep that promise. But if you swore by the temple's gold, then you were required to keep that promise. And then we talked about our day and our societal norms. Uh, some of you may remember this. Some of you may know, may don't. I, I remember it as a kid, and I asked my children, and they said, yes, it still happens. Anybody remember what this means? So if you say something and you got your fingers crossed, you don't, you're not really telling the truth, and it's not a big deal, right? Well, that, that's, that's societal norms. Or, or maybe we, we, you know, we're not supposed to, to, to swear and make grand promises with another part of it, and, and yet we, we often do that. Uh, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye is sort of the saying that kids say. I don't know if they still say that. They may be all looking at me and going, man, this guy's old. You know, I don't, uh, when, did, when did they say that? But we come up with all sorts of things as a society to sort of water down the, the law or to, to do away and distract from what God's Word has to say. And so one of the parts of this pattern is, is that he, he calls out and says, uh, you've added all of these rules to the law that basically invalidate it. And that's what we're going to see in just a moment. The other side of that is he, he confronts them with a boastfulness of keeping the law. And, and, and so we saw this with murder. When we looked, uh, I think, I don't know, last Sunday morning maybe about murder and hatred, he says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And you're all running around boasting, I've not murdered, I've not murdered, check, I kept that law. And he goes, but I'd rather talk to you about your heart and the hatred that is brewing in your heart for your brother. And so the pattern is either he confronts how we've watered down the law or he confronts us where we boast that we've kept the law and yet we've really not kept the heart of the law. And we'll see this pattern play forward for a couple of more sermons. Uh, in fact, tonight we'll see the other side of this pattern. But I want us to look at this pattern in verse 31. He says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. That was the social norm for Jesus' day. And, and here's what it is. It really was this idea of a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. As I was reading the commentaries and reading about society, it really was, uh, there were all sorts of rules and reasons, and it came down to nothing like food was not prepared correctly or on time, or they went out without the husband's permission. And then all the husband had to do was just sign a piece of paper and say, we're divorced, uh, it's over, it's done. That had become the social norms for Jesus' day. And he confronts it. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. Notice verse 32, I'm not going to go any further than this, but I tell you, he's saying, you've heard this, this is the practice, this is what you all do. Y'all have made these rules, but I'm telling you that, that that does not please God. And so he confronts the social norms of his day. But he also confronts the social norms of our day. Now, I, I have to confess, it's been a while since I was married. We're coming up on 22 years. Uh, this summer, my wife and I have been married. Um, and so it's been a long time ago that I applied for the uh, state license to be married. I couldn't remember how much I paid for it, but I looked it up this week. Anybody know how much it costs to get married in the state of Florida? $93.50, if the internet was telling me the truth. 
$93.50. I don't know why it's and 50 cents. It should have been 94 or 93. I don't know, but I don't make those rules, but that's what I'm told is $93.50 to get married. I was telling, uh, I was saying earlier, uh, I remember when uh, my wife and I, when Bethany and I were um, engaged to be married, we were living in New Orleans. I was attending New Orleans Seminary, and we were yet going to come back here and be married here in Lakeland where our family was. And so we were doing premarital counseling so we could save some money on the license to, to be married. And we did uh, months of premarital counseling with our pastor and his wife there in Louisiana. When we got back to Florida and applied for our license, we said, we've done premarital counseling. And they informed us it was only premarital counseling in the state of Florida that counted. And so we paid full price for our license. Let me say, I don't regret it a bit. The premarital counseling was good for us both. And so, uh, but I remember those days. And so, but here's, what I, here's why I wanted to say that, $93.50. But you have probably heard the advertisements on radio and seen the billboards or the signs around our town that say no-fault divorce, $75. Now, I don't know how that works. Thankfully, I've not gone through that. Maybe there are more fees on the other side, but I just want those two numbers to stand in your mind in our society. It takes $93.50 to get married and $75 to get out. It is cheaper to get out of a marriage than it is to get in a marriage in our society. Our societal norms do not honor marriage, the, the society that we live in. We may not just be able to pull out a piece of paper and sign our name to it and say, uh, you, we're done, but it's not very far from that. We have terminologies that we use in today's society. This idea of irreconcilable differences. What does that mean? It means we just don't want to be married anymore. Sometimes it means that there are real issues or real problems there, but sometimes it just means I want to be done. And so Jesus is confronting his day, but he's confronting our day. He is confronting the social norms that we come across and he says, you have heard it, or it was said, or this is what happens, this is the norm. Then in verse 32, he says, but I tell you. And so we see Jesus confronts the social norms. Secondly, though, Jesus resets the standards. Jesus resets the standards. Look with me, if you will, at verse 32. He says, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so Jesus' day and our day have social norms where we've just embraced divorce, easy divorce, quick divorce, quote-unquote painless divorce. Let me just tell you, that's not a real thing. But we've embraced it. Our society has embraced it, and yet Jesus stands here and says, but I tell you, Society may allow, but I tell you. And so when Jesus resets the standard, I want us to look at, he, here he sets the standard, uh, see exactly what he says. There are two, two terms used. We often just hear this verse sort of summarized as adultery. Well, adultery is the reason for divorce. There's actually more than that. There are two different terminologies used here. In fact, if you go back and look at the preceding passage, by the way, we'll be looking at the preceding passage tonight. There's a long story as to why we'll be looking at it tonight. I don't have time for that right now, but we'll be looking at it tonight on adultery. The terminology adultery is used over and over and over and over again. In our verse here in this passage, adultery is used twice. But there's another term that is the term of exception, and it is sexual immorality. 
He says, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus, as he's speaking, and Matthew, as he is writing down what Jesus said, could have used the term adultery three times in that verse, but he doesn't. He, he uses the term sexual immorality, and certainly adultery is a part of sexual immorality, but sexual immorality goes a lot further than just the actual act of adultery. Now, I'm not going to go through, I try to keep my sermons as PG as possible, I'm not going to go through and list out sexual immorality for you. Um, it's a little bit like I think the court used to say about indecency, we know it when we see it, right? You all are familiar with what all is contained in sexual immorality. Our society flaunts it and uh, does it everywhere uh, all the time. And so there is this idea of sexual immorality. Well, Jesus says that that is the reset, that is the standard, that has been the standard from the start. And so Jesus, uh, he resets the standard. I want you to show you why, first of all. Why would Jesus have this standard? Why is this important? Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 19. I want to read verses 1 through 9. Uh, elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, this issue of divorce comes up again, and I want you to see what he says, because he says a little more there in that passage that's applicable to what we're talking about. So Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, we read, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? There's, there's the terminology, any grounds. Got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. We're going to sign a paper of divorce. And Jesus responds in verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they ask him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers to send her away? Verse 8, he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus expands here. He says one of the reasons that divorce is not liked by God, in fact, Scripture says he hates it, is because he created marriage. And it's not just a civil contract. It's not just a piece of paper we sign. It is recognized by the state of Florida or whatever state you were married in. And yes, there's that case. But it's much, much more than that. When Bethany and I stood at the old Southside Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida, we weren't just talking to those present, those people present. We were taking vows between two believers in front of God saying, God has led us here and we commit ourselves to each other and we do so in the presence of God and we are making a vow and a commitment, yes, to one another, but also to God. And so there is this idea that God has done this, God has created marriage, and God is involved. It's not just an I do, I do, and we sign some papers. It's that God actually unites flesh. Does anybody in here have the ability to unite flesh? Me neither. And so what we're talking about here is the work of God in two people's lives. 
And so we see that one of the reasons why God resets the standard is because God is the creator of marriage. And Jesus, on God's behalf, on this earth during uh, Matthew's day, was talking about this idea of our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. So God reminds us what marriage is really all about, and he resets the standard because it's about our relationship with God. But also, marriage is an illustration that God often uses in Scripture. He often uses the illustration of marriage to talk about our relationship with Him. Here's one of the most beautiful things about our relationship with God. It cannot be undone. It goes on forever. Jesus has redeemed us. He has forgiven our sins. Uh, We have been made right with God through His work. And I am God's. And there's no one doing it. Like, I'm a knucklehead sometimes, and yet even all of my knuckleheadedness, I'm not sure that's a word, even all my knuckleheadedness does not undo my relationship with God. He did it. He united me with himself, and it is lasting. And so over and over again, he uses the marriage illustration. By the way, Jesus called the groom, and we, the church, called the bride It talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb at the last days. You see, one of the reasons that God has this standard for marriage is because it is a picture of what God does between himself and the believer. Christian, your marriage is a testimony to those around you. It is pointing people to the work of God. And so that's why Jesus resets the standard. It's some of the reasons why. But what is the reset? No longer any reason for divorce, rather, sexual immorality is the reason for divorce. But I also want to take you to another passage of Scripture, because Paul has what I believe to be an important addition to this. Now, it's not really Paul's addition. I would remind you that as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7, he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it is actually God's addition. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says this, But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Now, this is in the context of a lot of other uh, thoughts on marriage that Paul is giving, but he says, if an unbeliever leaves a believer, the believing spouse is no longer under commitment that the unbeliever is gone, that he is away, that he has left the marriage, that, that the believer who has stayed and was committed to the relationship is in the right or is okay. So Paul says this. Now there are questions. What happens if a believer leaves a believer? Well, that's difficult. Uh, what we understand about the believer is the Holy Spirit and God will be doing everything that they can to get a hold of that person's life and call them back to right relationship. But that may or may not happen. But what we see here is, at least in these two verses, there are two allowances, sexual immorality and if an unbeliever leaves. I I debated about doing this. I didn't know what to do here, but I'm just going to, I did it in the early service, I'm going to do it here. Uh, This is, I've shared what Jesus said, I I shared what uh, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, but I want to step beside the pulpit here, and I want to say something that is Richard's thoughts. I want you to know before I say it, I do not have scripture for this. I want you to understand that I do not have scripture for this. 
But I want to say that there is something that I, I want you to know and I want you to hear from me. And, and you may disagree with this, and that's okay. I'm telling you it's not Scripture. Are we clear? If abuse is going on in your marriage, that is not right and it does not please God. And while you may not want to leave the marriage, you should get out of there and you should not put up with abuse. It may be that you want to bring in brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside of you and your spouse, but I want you to hear that is not acceptable and God does not approve of that. It ought not to be that way. I'm not saying you just sign divorce and go. I'm saying there might be a time for, for getting things right, but you should not stay there and be abused. That is not right. I want you to hear me. That is Richard. I don't have a verse for that, but I really do believe that. And you may disagree, and that's okay, and I've told you that it was Richard and not the Bible, so we won't argue and fight over it. But I think it's important to say that. So we see why Jesus reset the standard. We see what the reset was, no longer any reason, but rather sexual immorality. We see Paul's addition there. If, a, if an unbeliever leaves a believer, the believer is free. I told you about my addition, and we can do what we want to with that. But I want to say some things. What are some implications for us? We need to pray and think before we go into marriage. I remember when I was a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, it used to drive me crazy. On Wednesday nights, the youth would come together, and um, I would say, how's it going? And they would say, oh, it's a great week. I'm in love this week. I just, I've got butterflies, and it feels great. And I'd be, okay, well, tell me about your love. And they would share the name, and I'd say, well, great. I'm going to be praying for you. And the, the following Wednesday night, I'd go, how's it going? How is so-and-so? And they'd go, oh, I'm over him. I, uh, this is, he's not the one. And, and uh, now uh, so-and-so gives me butterflies. Now, now, we laugh about that. We adults laugh, right? Because teenagers can be that way. But can we be honest for a minute? Sometimes adults are that way as well. Marriage is serious. It's not just a commitment between two people. It's a commitment between God and two people. And so as we think about this, we need to pray and think before we enter in to marriage. We need to seek God. We need to spend a lot of time praying. We need to ask God to lead us, to convince us, to guide us, to confirm it. And then secondly, we need to be committed to the marriage we are in. I don't know where everybody is. Here's one of the problems with a message like this. All of you have different circumstances. And here I'm trying to preach the word of God to everybody who's got different circumstances. And all I can do is say this is what the word of God says. But, but some of you are in first marriages, but you're only in there contract-wise. You've signed a paper, but you're not really wholeheartedly in your marriage. You're not loving with all you've got. You're not committed with everything. You're sort of half-hearted in your marriage. Can you hear the word of God this morning? It says to stop being half-hearted to your marriage. It says to be all the way in. You didn't just make a promise to somebody. You made a promise to God as well. And so if you're married, you need to be all the way in. Some of you are in second marriages or, or maybe other marriages. And maybe there are some things in the past that if you could go back and change, you would. But here's the truth. We can't. And so maybe you're in a second marriage. What you need to hear is be committed to that marriage. You need to be all in. You need to love with all that you have. You need to serve. You need to be kind. So we need to pray before we get in. We need to be committed to the marriage that we're in. 
But I want to end this way this morning. Just like in every other area of our life, there is grace and mercy from God. You may be walking through difficulty today. You may be going through uh, difficulties in your marriage. You may be in a second marriage, or you may be the wrong party who were left from your first marriage. Or you may be the party who was wrong in your first marriage, and you left. Or a dozen other scenarios. But here's what I know about God. God is a good God who loves us. He is a God who pours out his grace and mercy on those of us who are his. And when we have sinned, Scripture tells us that when we seek him and we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. There is always grace and mercy found with God. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for these people. God, I've prayed about this message. I've thought about this situation. I've prayed for the people that are here in this service, who were in the early service, who were next door in the modern service. And I've thought about how to share your word to people who are in all sorts of different circumstances. And yet your word is what your word is. And so, Lord, you know where everybody is. You know where each person is living and what they're going through and what they've been through. And you know the hurts and the heartaches and the pains that are there. And yet, God, we know who you are. You are a great God, a loving God, a forgiving God, and a merciful God. And God, if we need comfort today, I pray that you would pour out your comfort on our lives. Lord, if we need to get things right, I pray that we would get things right and seek your restoration and forgiveness. Lord, would you be at work in the hearts and lives of your people this day? I pray it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. I believe the invitation hymn is 275, I Surrender All, 275. Would you stand with me? If the Lord's laid a decision on your heart, I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you or talk with you about it. These altars are open. You be obedient to him this morning.
Sorry, there we go. Uh, let me ask you to be seated for just a moment. I uh, want to introduce somebody to you. Uh, I've been talking with Linda for a couple of weeks now. She has been expressing her desire to move her membership here to Scott Lake, and so she asked me how to do that. Uh, she is a member of another church, and we'll be requesting that, and then that will come uh, before the church in a business meeting, but I want to invite her to come and stand beside me. And uh, this is Linda Long, and so she has been coming for for a little while and uh, wants to be a part of our church family. And so if you rejoice with that, would you just say amen? amen. All right. Well, I do too. I'm glad that you're here. And so I'm going to let her be seated and finish filling out some paperwork. I know some of you will want to come by and just say hello to her on your way out and uh, let her know how glad you are that she is uh, in the process of moving her membership here. Thank you so much for being here today. I, I do. I count it a privilege to be with you all. Um, I love my church family. I love to be a part here. I love to worship with you all. Even if I'm running from service to service, like a chicken with his, well, never mind, I won't finish that, uh, uh, but that's what I felt like this morning. Um, I, I was discombobulated and out of sorts, but I appreciate you hanging with me. Let me do remind you, please be praying for your pastor search committee. I've been praying for them for months. Um, I didn't even know who they were, but I've been praying that God would put the right people on there, and I'm just going to keep praying for them. Uh, I'm going to cut out uh, my part of the bulletin right there where their name is. I'm going to tape that into my um, prayer journal. Um, Bethany and I pray in the mornings, and uh, we're going to be praying for them. We're going to be praying for our church family. We're going to pray that God would work through them, and so you do the same. I'm going to ask Brother Wayne to come, and he's going to close our service out, but also pray for our offering, if you will, please, sir. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Pastor Richard. We thank you for your word that he preached today, Lord, that, that touches our hearts. And Lord, as we leave here today, be with us uh, as we go and, and have us remember our duty to you to spread your word, Lord. And Lord, we, we pray for these tithes and offerings, Lord, that they be used to glorify your name and to spread your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, we again ask you to be with the pastor committee, search committee, Lord. Um, they have a, a hard, hard job, and it represents all of us. And Lord, we just ask you to be with them and help in that search. And Father, we say these things in the name of our Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.